word from our sponsors, Freemius. If you create and sell WordPress plugins or themes, you know that only coding features is not enough. You're going to have to securely accept payments, manage subscriptions, handle software licensing, collect European VAT, software updates, and the list goes on. Freemius handles all of those aspects in your business for you. When you sign up to sell through Freemius, they treat you like a true partner because they will only earn money when you earn money, which naturally serves as an incentive for them to help increase your sales. I highly recommend you head over to freemius.com mastermind and get a full month of fees waived when you start selling your WordPress plugins and themes through Freemius. Hello everybody, welcome to mastermind.fm. Today I have a special guest from the financial side of things. His name is Jorgen Wolf and he runs a very good blog which is called financiallyfree.eu and in it he details his journey to financial freedom. So in this episode we're going to get into what all that means and how Jorgen is moving towards that goal. So Jürgen, welcome to the show and please tell us more about you. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Yeah, well, uh, what I do is I have uh, my blog where I post my journey, what I do to get to financial freedom. And um, I started a few years ago and um, it's mainly focused on peer-to-peer lending, crowd lending, the more unusual types and investments that a lot of people don't know about at the moment. Um, I started myself investing with stocks and these uh, regular investments, but I really never had success with it. So after finding some of these types of investments instead, I sort of find that they clicked more with me. So that's ended up being my thing. And when I started out, a lot of people really, including myself, I was a little bit skeptical about it because it was kind of new and was it really sustainable? Would some of it be scam? Or So I, I spent a lot of time digging into it to see what's, what's good and what's not good and tried testing it a little bit with the smaller finances. And as I got along, I saw that I really f- enjoyed the concept and put it more money into it. Right. So, and just to have a general background of, so you're from Denmark, you're 38 years old, you have a family. Yeah, I'm th- actually 39, turning 40 here in, in November. Yeah. Time to update the blog then. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I live in Denmark. I have a girlfriend, two kids, and uh, the third kid on the way here in summer, three months from now. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And uh, as a, my day job at the moment, I am working as an IT project leader in one of the larger grocery chains here in Denmark. So what's life like in Denmark for those of us who haven't been there? Denmark is typical European, I would say. The weather is a little bit more Scandinavian. It's not as hot in, as in Barcelona. And we also tend to pay more taxes than the rest of Europe. But other than that, than that we have a very good healthcare system, good school system. People are generally quite happy here, I think. Right. What's the attitude in general towards taxes? Is it like a positive attitude? As you know, in South, Southern Europe, people try their best to evade taxes or they're very much against them because they feel that the country is not providing what they're paying for. 
Yeah, I would say here the country is providing a lot of things for us. And I think people are kind of divided into a couple of groups where some people really like uh, paying the taxes and enjoying everything they get in return with the benefits of schools and healthcare and everything. And the other part is in some degree happy to pay taxes. They just feel like they are paying a bit too much and they could take some more responsibility themselves. And maybe if they want to go to the library, they'd rather pay five euros to go in than paying it over the taxes. So it's, but in general, people don't, they like the system in general, I think. And they have different tax rates depending on what kind of income you're getting. Yes. And you don't have to offer a lot of money actually to go into the high bracket. So where you have to pay up to 60% of your income, which is kind of ridiculous, but uh, that's the way it is. But do you have a different savings uh, rate or is it all in one kind of category for income? Um, yeah, it's no, it's it's different categories. It's uh, capital income and normal job income. And um, the thing is, a lot of people really like to pay the taxes and, uh, you know, do what the law tells them to do. But oftentimes things and with the systems, it's gotten too complicated in a way. So people actually have to hire an accountant or something actually to be sure they do it the right way and i think that's the biggest problem of all uh, that it's it's too complicated um, it would be a lot easier if all information was collected automatically from all accounts you had in europe or something and it was reported to the taxes and but it's it's too complicated and even if you ask them sometimes they have have to ask some of their colleagues and you they are not actually quite sure also with some of the new technology when they are not always up to date on what's the best best practice to do in in each situation yeah i've encountered that a lot especially with these p2p platforms and p2p property crowdfunding that's all new for most people and you spend probably more money than you earn on accountants especially the first year until you get set up yeah yeah <laughs> But that's something to keep in mind if you're starting off. Well, for the if you're just a regular investor and you just invest in a P2P site that has buyback, it's quite easy to report your taxes. It's just capital income. You put it in a category and that's it. But if you actually start to think about it, like we have a block. And if you ask uh, or want to to have a block and set it up as a company account, then things start to get a lot more complicated. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> trying to figure out the best way. So you're employed? You're not a freelancer? No, no, I'm I'm employed. I've been in the same place for 17 years, I guess. So it's a long time. And then you do the investments from, do you have a separate company for the investments or do you do it from your personal? No, I actually just invested from my personal account. I didn't know any otherwise when I started. So I just started out with my personal finances. I'm trying to... Uh, to find out if it's possible to transition everything into a company. But I'm not so sure how it will turn out in the end. Okay. I didn't mean to get into technical stuff and taxes right away. So <laughs> just to back off a bit about that. Let's talk about what the FIRE movement is about, really, because I'm sure some of our audience, if not the majority, will not be familiar with the words, the, the term FIRE. I'm actually quite uh, new to this movement myself. I wasn't that aware of it. I used to read uh, several US blogs uh, for a number of years. And recently it came to my attention that there were many European blogs 
which is something really good. But what's FIRE all about? And do you see any difference between the US side, where it's been popular for many years, and the European side? Well, in general, if people are very totally new to the concept, then FIRE means financial independence, retire early. So it's all about getting enough finances uh, in your bank accounts or your investments accounts so you can actually live off the gains from your investments. And so you, in theory, don't have to work on any day job, but you can choose to work on whatever you wish because you're independent financially so um difference between europe and us like you said you read a lot of vlogs also from the us and most of the us uh, retire or uh, fire when they're searching for fire they are in mainly stocks and dividend stocks and um, real estate I have actually not seen any fire bloggers at all from the US investing in peer-to-peer lending or anything like this. They a few of them have maybe one of one, two, three, five percent or something of their portfolio in some of this. But also the American peer-to-peer lending platforms are very different from the European ones. They first of all they have lower yield and they also don't have buyback guarantee yet at least not last time i checked so it's very different the european ones have evolved a lot more and i think it's also because there's a lot more competition here in europe there are so many platforms popping up i think we're probably at a hundred platforms or something at the moment in just in europe there's a lot of competition and everyone every platform wants to to come up with the best solution to find out what the investors want how to provide the highest yields with the best securities and yeah there's a lot of evolution yeah what i would say as a difference for me is that there are way many way more blogs not blogs sorry books and that are focused on the us system that's for sure i'm happy to see the blogs as i mentioned and in terms of p2p and crowdfunding i'm a regular reader of financialsamurai.com which is one of the bigger blogs in the US, and he does invest in property crowdfunding platforms there. Yeah. So in that case, he's living in San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken, and he he's investing in the middle parts of the US where yields are better than the coastal areas. But I think in Europe, we have the advantage that we have different countries in such a small place, many of which are evolving very rapidly, Having joined the EU, we've got right now, I think it's a very good time because it's probably like the beginning of Europe being more homogeneous in terms of regulations. The fact that many more people speak English now than maybe 10 or 20 years ago and people are traveling more. So they're not that tied to investing in their local economy necessarily. So I think that's very positive for Europe in general and for investors. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of the family, is it something that you take care of all this investing stuff yourself or is your girlfriend and children also involved or like how much is the whole family on board in this fire thing? Financial wise, it's only me, I would say. My girlfriend is not too much into managing finances. I do that. I try to educate my children as early as possible in their life to get a different mindset about money in general. I ask them a lot of 
fun things and involve them a lot more in money than uh, probably most parents would do. And how old are they? They are six and eight years old, two girls. And I like to actually ask them, what do you think about this uh, rental property here? Should we buy it? It's then tell them the price and what income and such weird questions that they can't really grasp the whole concept when they are only, especially the youngest one at six. But, but I think it's good to actually just get their minds towards that income doesn't exactly have to only come from a day job and the salary it should be something that you generate uh, in a different way by helping people either in in doing some services like you have a podcast where you can reach a lot of people and doing service or you you have a lot of rental properties for example where they are able to live and they also appreciate that so they give you money for it there's just so many ways to make money it's and the only thing they learn at school is to teach them and work on some skills to get a day job and that's it. So I think it's very important to teach them other other methods of earning money in general. Have you encountered any other resources like books or podcasts about teaching children how to think differently? I haven't. In general, if you just look up different personal development things, there's a lot of things you can apply that doesn't, it, it, it isn't exactly about money, but it's just more about mindset and you can actually teach that from a very early age. Mm -hmm. The growth mindset. Yeah. So I try to do some of that. Yeah. Very good. So I was reading, obviously your blog, I've been reading it for a while actually. And right just today I, I went back to your first blog post. I like to do that. <laughs> okay. And it seems that like from the very first blog post, you are very clear on what you're going to achieve. It wasn't like, maybe mm. I'm going to try this. I was uh, like the focus really impressed me. So I was wondering whether you started the podcast, the, the, sorry, the blog, like directly to knowing exactly what you're going to do or having had done it beforehand or how did it start? What was your rationale b b before starting the blog? Um, before I started the blog, I just managed my finances in Excel. Mm -hmm. So at some point I was very, when I started, I started four or five years ago digging a lot more into personal development and I learned a lot about different, You to be rich you need to have a lot of uh, different income sources in general and I was looking at my day job and I was like I, I have one income source and that's not enough and I was trying to figure out how I could get more different income sources and then I got into crowd lending and then suddenly I saw wow this is a way I, I can have more easily set up and earn money also without putting too much uh, time into it because, of course, you have to manage it a little bit, but it's pretty much passive, a lot of it, if you're satisfied with the, with maybe some percentages and you don't always try to get the last extra percent out of everything, then it can be quite passive. So I, uh, after managing and trying to set something up for a while, I was thinking uh, I wanted to... Why not do it online? I, I had created one WordPress blog before, and that's really what, the only thing I ever did. And that was about personal development. And I wrote a few articles, but it really never was something that I wanted to spend so much time on. It was not where I had my passion. It was, I really liked all these numbers in general. So that kind of caught me. <laughs> and I thought it was so interesting. So if I, I was, a, I was thinking if I think it's so interesting then I cannot be the only person so why not try to share my experiences at least so that people 
who maybe stumble upon one of the platforms and want to do some research that they don't have to go all through the the research I've done to see actually is this sustainable is it something uh, because when I started out, I didn't really have any go-to references. Nobody posted their earnings, their account values, anything. So I couldn't see any historical data to back up their statements. I didn't know if they just wrote this article because they wanted to, to earn five euros on a referral link or if they actually had good experience with the platform that was generally genuinely shared. So I thought I wanted to give something back in that regard. Mainly it was for my own, you know, documentation. I think it's like, like you say, it's it's nice to actually be able to go back when you start a journey to go back and uh, see how you evolve, how everything goes. Yeah, I mean, I've always had a blog since, I don't know, 15 years ago or something like that. I've been blogging for a long time and what I seem to get out of it is, like people ask me, why do you spend so much time blogging and like part of it is just documenting because I tend to forget what I've done five years ago yeah (laughs) so this like time machine is really important for me and I also get to interact with some amazing people who drop by leave comments and sometimes I just blog about stuff I don't know just to get uh, good advice (laughs) I find it like one of the most effective ways to get advice and obviously having to do the research to to do the blog post so you're focused to not like not look like a fool when you write something so that means you need to do the research so it's lots of benefits actually i think when you're uh, especially when it comes to financial independence mm-hmm. and trying to go from zero to riches it's a long journey in general and if you're, you know, it's like almost if you go and you want to buy a lottery ticket because you feel like I want to get rich better yesterday than tomorrow, you know, it's you have this sense of it must be accomplished fast. But days go by one by one and it's really slow paced, especially when you have such a high focus in the beginning. Two months out, then the time goes by so slow when you have such a high focus on it. So it feels like it's taken forever, even though you're only three months out, you know, so it's really easy to give up early. So instead, if you have a a blog where you actually follow your own progress, then once maybe a a year has gone by, then if you go look back into your blog post and see your earnings uh, history, then you'll actually be often, I think you'll be impressed how things evolved in only one year when you look back. So that's kind of reinforcing your your own um, motivation so you can keep going on, you know? Yeah, I agree. And like you, I also kept an Excel before, or I still keep it actually, but I also blog about it. The thing with the Excel is that I used to tend to focus more on the current month and never look back. And with a blog post, sometimes like you just get a random comment on some two-year-old post. And that's when I would go in and look back at what I had written or uh, done. And that's where I see like the difference starting to show between what I'm doing now and back then. Not too long ago, I was also going through my monthly portfolio updates and I just went went like one year back or something. And I was amazed that I only had a few platforms in my portfolio and I have 10. But at that point, I only had two or three or something. I was, what? Is that only one year ago? 
it feels like a lot longer. Yeah. So you get very used to new numbers, new new situations. So if you suddenly earn next more month, you earn a uh, 100 euros more, then that's the new standard, and you quickly forget what was six months ago very quickly. So what's your goal with financial independence? Do you have like something you want to do when you reach financial independence, or is it just a general goal because you think it's something? everyone should do in general well now we are having our third child here i would like to spend more time with the family in general and spend time on things uh, that i like to do instead of just going to a job spending most of our times within the family at each she has her job and i have mine and the kids go to the schools and institutions i think life is meant to be something more than that and you know when the kids or when most people have the finances to actually do something more, then the kids kids are already moved uh, away uh, from home and they are 25 years old or something. And then it's already too late. So I would like to do something more with them before that they actually are flying from the nest. Yeah, I certainly feel like I think every phase of life has its own goals as well. I don't really relate to people who tell me like I want to be financially independent for this just one thing. Like when I was in my 20s, the goal was to travel. So I needed to be independent, at least if not financially, location independent so I could travel while working. And now in my 30s, having had my first child just a few months ago, like the I just felt my mind shift towards spending as much time with my kid and that's immediately became my number one goal for having more time because what we're building here by being financially independent is time really which is the scarcest thing there is more than money and the more time you have the more time you also have to help other people and i think one of the greatest pleasures you will have in life is from from helping other people and get to hear their responses and I'm sure you also get some emails sometimes where people actually thank you in some way because you've helped them at least uh, maybe just with a new idea or something could be a small thing but to that individual it's actually meaning a big thing it's so good to have more time to be able to help more people in that way I think and like you said in the independence location it's also something i want to achieve because uh, my girlfriend is all re- also um, she's very adventurous and we would like to also maybe move to another country or something at some point just to try it out and uh, at the moment you actually recently i got someone told me about portugal actually and i was thinking hmm the more i researched it the more it sounded like a very good uh, area to move to if you're a financial in- independent person because there should be a lot of benefits by living there yeah to be honest even when i was location independent that was already huge for me even though i wasn't financially independent i've lived in several countries been to over 50 countries so like just being able to move around like i said earlier before we started uh, conversation financial independence for me doesn't really mean much in terms of escaping some job because I'll always be doing something. It's in my my genes to be doing stuff all the time. So I guess when I was location independent, I was already like more than halfway there because I could travel. I still worked on something I loved. So it was already great. Portugal is a very good place. I agree, uh, especially Lisbon. It's a city that's improving a lot and rapidly. And they also have great tax incentives for people who want to relocate there. Yeah. 
I was talking to another blogger from England uh, and he moved to Portugal some time ago and he also said it was a very good country for him and like you said with the incentives to have foreigners moving there and there's a lot lot of good things about it I think so I'm definitely looking more into that could be interesting you remember who was the blogger who moved Uh, yeah it's it's Mark from um, obviousinvestor.com He's also doing kind of the same thing as I am doing, just with the focus on UK platforms only. He's investing in pounds. Yeah, and uh, like we'll see how that develops with Brexit, because I guess some things will be different now between England and the rest of Europe. But yeah, I've included, I don't know if I told you actually, I just launched a, a new website. It's called eurofinanceblogs.com, where one can find like all the main bloggers that I know of and the European space. So I categorized it uh, in English. There's the German blogs and the Spanish blogs and also the platforms. So it's eurofinanceblogs.com for anyone who wants to check it out. I just launched it last week and I remember including uh, the obvious investor on it. It's a good blog. And yeah, like you said, it's great to read what others are doing, share, build the community. So I just wanted to build for myself primarily, but also to share it. Uh, This website where I could keep abreast of all that's happening in the European space. Yeah, Yeah, the more people we have in the community, the, the faster the word spreads also. And I think a lot of people deserve to know that there is actually other options if you want to invest in the, in the just uh, normal stock market especially at this time where we have been in a bull market for more than 10 years. So people, a lot of people think that it should at some point, you know, make a correction, but no one ever knows when, but it's always good to have at least to know of other options. So you don't just think there is only one and that's it. Yeah, I think it's growing a lot. The awareness is, it's uh, even in Spain, which is like, I guess, traditionally not the most forward thinking country. There is actually a very good community of financial bloggers here. I think in general, there's a lot of people who don't like the uncertainty of a stock market where they never know. Well, of course, they like the the gains they can get in a short time if they look at the account and it's risen by 10% in a week or something. But often you don't see anything for a long time and you also get all these corrections and Maybe they have invested for two years and they are still at 0% gains and they don't really see the benefits of it. So these are the kind of investments where you actually get get interest paid every month. It's so much more predictable. And I think that appeals to, to even more people than stocks. So I think it's really something that will be growing here in the coming years because it's a lot more predictable. And I think people like to have a little bit of certainty when they invest. So looking at your website and just for those who I think your website is one of the best, actually, for those who are not familiar with the fire movement and want to get into it. It's one of the best because it's really clear and full of data. So one can find your current portfolio, your investments, your income statements, even your savings rate, and then a bunch of reviews of different platforms. So it's a really good place that I can recommend. So let's talk about go back to financial independence. How does one calculate how much money they need to be financially independent? Yeah, that's one of the things where you talked about what's different from uh, from the US and Europe. Of course, it's not only in divided into two regions, but and also in the US, they also have Robert Kiyosaki who focus on cash flow instead of just uh, building a massive mountain of money that you can start taking from. 
But I really like the approach where you try to build cash flow instead. So I don't have any amount. I don't say I need 3 million euros to be able to retire or anything like this. I just say I need on a monthly basis at least 3,000 euros, for example. And even though it could, maybe I need a million euros or something to actually earn 3,000 euros a month. But I think it's a lot more, I like the approach more where you where you break it down into the monthly earnings instead. And also the number feels a lot smaller. So it's it's not so intimidating. So I think your mind will easily, easily, uh, easily accept that you're actually going for this goal. So, so sometimes if you have a really big goal, it's better to break it up into some smaller parts or making it ridiculous in some way. And I think just in general here, when you're talking about financial independence, just breaking it down into monthly income instead of having a, a huge savings account. Where if you think I'm starting from zero, how how do I ever get to one million euros? Then it seems like it's impossible. But if you can actually see that if you invest a thousand euros this month, then you get ten euros extra every month. Then you know, okay, then I know what the next step is, and just take one small step at a time. Yeah, same thing for me. I agree 100%. I just don't like the idea of building because of the mindset, you know, the, the idea of building a big amount and then stopping. Mm. I just don't relate to that uh, concept, you know, and like I said, I always wanted to travel. So I started off with very little money traveling and working at the same time. And like my goal was to make in that month enough to, to live in this new country and then slowly add on to that by living in that country and be able to save. And then after that, I have enough to even invest and so on and so forth until I started thinking about outsourcing my work so I can work less and still get the same income, not only from investing, but from actually my job. That was my job at the time. So I very much like the idea of having a goal for monthly income. I think it's interesting also when you have, let's say you earn a thousand euros a month passively, then if you are open to living elsewhere, then you can actually also easier find out how much does it cost to live in Japan every month, for example, how much does it cost to live in, in Singapore or whatever, where you want to live. Uh, and see if I want to move, then I'm I could actually be financially independent right now if I just wanted to move to another country. I think that's harder if you just have this huge amount. Say, is it really enough? Um, is it going to be enough for me with this and in that country? And then um, yeah, one thing I realized uh, lately is that having it with every kid that you have, your expenses are going to grow significantly. So having just imagine if I uh, reached my goal of I don't know how much one million. And then I'm withdrawing the 4% that they mentioned. And I'm not sure if that will be enough to cover my suddenly new costs, you know. So having a growth mindset that I say, okay, so this month I made 4,000, but next month I can hustle a bit more and grow it to six. I think cultivating that belief in your skills and uh, I think it's very positive and much more positive than focusing on saving and building this goal, this big amount. Mm. Yeah, also, if you just put a lot of money into a savings account or an investing account where you don't see much growth, then I think it will feel like it takes a lot longer to actually get there because it's just like you take the money and then you just pile them up and you don't see much growth in it. When you're building the monthly cash flow, it's so much easier to monitor your progress from month to month. You see that I'm actually doing better this month than last month. It wasn't much, just maybe 10 euros, but it's still progress. 
it's very fulfilling to be able to to see that you make progress. So another part of your blog which I find interesting is the savings rate. Now that we're talking about savings, I haven't seen this uh, much on other blogs. So I'd like to dig a bit into it. So you're, we're saying, if I understood you correctly, you're not that focused as maybe others are on really saving and being super frugal. Is that correct? Yeah, I would like to live life in a way where I, I enjoy the ride all the way. So I don't want to be super frugal. At the other hand, I'm, I don't like to spend money on things that I don't really, really, really like to have. For example, we have an old couch here that... I just my mom should have a new one so we she she gave us the old one and we've been living here for 10 years and from when we moved in we were looking at different couches we could easily go out and spend three four thousand euros on a new sweet couch but we never really did we just accepted this old couch we have here we got for free and it's if you in general if you just have the mindset that you are able to enjoy the things you have in your life without always wanting more then it gets so much easier to save money because you don't you don't have to go and buy a new tv or you there are so many things you can spend money on and all your colleagues and peers will be doing it because that's just the mentality of most people but if you can step out of that and just be satisfied with the things you've got then you can you can actually save a lot of money and and use that for investing I agree. Sometimes I get a bit annoyed when I read these fire blogs because they're too focused, in my opinion, at least for my style on saving and really going cheap. That's not the way I want to live. I think the distinction I make is when I buy something is, is this something I'm going to buy once and forget about it? Or like the couch is a great example If the couch is comfortable, looks decent and works well you know yeah i don't and think I'll, it's something that you're gonna sit down every day and like remember the day you bought it just you sit down and watch tv or talk to someone you're not thinking about the couch so compared for example i bought an expensive bike but whenever i ride the bike i'm really happy about being in that in the moment with the bike riding yeah. enjoying it I couldn't get the same feeling by buying a cheap bike in this case. Nope. So I, I make that distinction about uh, the pleasure that particular object will give me in the future. Yeah, yeah, I do exactly the same. For example, we had also, we've been wanting to have a blender in our kitchen for several years. And if you if you want a decent blender, it, it costs quite a few bucks because it has to last and it has to be able to to actually smash things into nothing. So we actually wait, been looking and waiting for almost five years, I think, from the day we actually thought that we would like to have a blender to the day we actually bought it because we know we could have bought it a lot sooner, but we didn't really have the need for it. But now also with the baby coming where we say we can make so much more healthy uh, baby food again, and then there is suddenly a meaning to doing it. And like you say, with the bike, when we then do something, then I buy the best thing I can get normally. So it really gives me pleasure when I buy that single thing, but it, it could take years for me to buy something. But when I do, then I'm sure that it gives me pleasure and a good use. I agree. So I think when I see problems with people managing their finances, it's usually the indiscriminate buying of stuff. Like I don't want to single out the Americans, but having been to America and having many American friends, I'm always amazed at the number of items that the average American owns, which is really insane compared to the average European 
And so that was like when I went there and I saw this stuff, I was really impressed. And then I understood why many bloggers, especially the American ones, are focused so much on not buying rubbish, you know, not not buying so much stuff mm. because it's true. Yeah. When you're going for financial independence, I think it's just a matter of seeing what's the biggest expenses you have in your life. And usually it's housing is the first, transportation mm -hmm. is the second, and then you have the rest, food and, and all the gadgets you want. If you just focus on having low, and that's where I also didn't want to go into, you know, and don't want to live too bad. I want, I want this place we have now and we pay a decent rent here. But it's it's not cheap at all. We could easily find a cheaper place and save another five, six, seven hundred euros a month. But this is what's actually giving me pleasure here. So I want mm -hmm. I want it. So I, this is not where I want to compromise. Instead, I bought a very cheap car. So that's where I save money instead. And then I don't want to to save too much money when it comes to uh, our food and groceries. So. Even though we have a very low budget for groceries, we still make sure that we buy the things we think are healthy and the things that we really would like to eat. And mm -hmm. if I see something, then if I want a steak next, you know, tomorrow or something, then I'll buy it. I don't want to think, oh, I have to yeah. save up another 10 euros. I don't like that mindset. Just to focus on the important stuff and then just, like they say, sweat the rest. So mm -hmm. you don't think. Yeah, especially when it comes to health and fitness i really try to do the best because it's investing in our own bodies and that of our families and if we don't do that now it's more expenses later anyway so <laughs> there's no point yeah so looking at your savings rate i find it quite impressive i'm not sure that what you include in the expenses is that including your rent and travel expenses everything even if I buy a pack of chewing gum, it'll be in my expenses. Wow. Every, everything isn't there. The thing is, me and my girlfriend, we have separate economies, so we okay. don't put everything in one basket. and So we have separate accounts. So when I have my rent, for example, for this apartment here, only half of the com complete rent is in there because that, that's the 50% of the rent I pay and she pays right. the other 50%. Okay. So it's that split up into two like that, also with groceries. So for the whole family, it will probably be, I pay a little bit more on some items than she does. But in general, then it's, it's probably, you can almost double this expense, expenses if you want to know the complete expenses for the whole family. But this is my share of it. Right. And on the other hand, I don't include her income in my net income. That's also just mine. So that makes also sense. Okay, because I was thinking of moving to Denmark as a cheap living country. <laughs> mm, it's not, <laughs> it's not that cheap. <laughs> it's not that cheap. Yeah, but it's okay. I think in general, there's yeah, it's not it's not too expensive either. She's from she's from Norway and it's way more expensive there. But on the other hand, then they also make a lot more money from the salaries. So it all adds up. I mean, here in Barcelona, rent is really expensive. I mean, all your expenses for, and in my case, they would just barely cover the rent here. So mm. obviously living in the center has its benefits, has its expenses. But yeah. yeah, rent. In fact, so I was looking at your rental property, which is also 
I call investment and the yield on, on that investment is really impressive compared to what I would get if I bought an apartment here. The yield that I've calculated is, of course, from my initial uh, down payment. And a lot of people don't like to calculate investments, uh, return on investments on properties like that. They like to say, what's the whole property value? And then figure out how much do you earn on the entire value. To me, it makes more sense that that I do a down payment for maybe 100,000 euros or something and... Uh, Sorry, a lot less. Uh, yeah. Twenty thousand. Yeah. Eighteen thousand. Yeah, for this, eighteen thousand for this first one here. Yes. But I was looking at the property price. It's hundred thirty-nine thousand, and you're getting a rental income per month of one thousand four hundred something, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that is like here to get that income, you have to spend easily half a million for the apartment. Mm. So that's a big difference. But again, in, there's a lot of people in Denmark saying the same thing. It's just because they're not, not looking at the right uh, areas and they're not looking at the right properties. There's mm-hmm. actually, I think in many countries, you can find similar, maybe not as good, but you can find similar really good investments if you just take your focus out of the big cities because yeah. the prices in there are yes, ridiculous. This one is in a small city with 3,000 citizens. Mm-hmm. Small local area. It's yeah. Do you have someone managing it? No, I don't. Yeah, well, I do it myself mainly, but I recently partnered up with a property manager right. who starts doing some things for me. But it's because I want to have a setup in place to when I get more than this property here. So I, I have the long term focus in mind when I do this setup, so I can do it right. So I don't have to. You know, when I have 10 properties, I can obviously not manage them all myself. Mm-hmm. So I would like to have that set up in place already now. So I can just go ahead and, and start buying them. It's, it'll be easier. Right. Makes sense. And one can also find on your website the monthly updates, which are, again, one of the most in-depth that I've seen, which is, and obviously you get a lot of replies to your to your updates because people like them not only for the numbers i suspect but more for the description of the the rationale why why you invested more in one platform why you reduced in another Mm. and all this stuff which i find really interesting apart from the numbers that's also Uh, one of the things i like by going back because like you said if you go one year back and look at one of the updates it was a lot less (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so things evolve over time and you also get better of course and know what works and what what you want to focus on so the first updates i did they were not nearly as big and now i like also put some more visualization and to put some pictures in to try to present the story to give more people insight into my life and what i'm doing i think the yeah. story is um, is what's actually making it interesting Mm-hmm. because numbers in itself well it's nice to see but it gets kind of boring pretty yeah. quickly and the good thing about it is also that there's a lot of other bloggers doing the same thing now uh, inspired by everyone in the community of course but everyone has his own story and his own take on it so it's it's good to follow different people to to learn from whatever they are doing 
Yeah. As a blogger, I was also impressed by the blog statistics. That's uh, like really huge growth and a very short period of time. So congratulations on that. Um, yeah, thank you. It started uh, like most blogs do. I usually give blogs two years to start, but yours yeah. was like less than yeah. less than a year to take off, which is good. I'm actually looking here. I think I actually one one year and a bit. Yeah, I started. I think actually I started blogging in April 2017. Mm -hmm. So it's actually almost two yeah. two years to the date today, almost. Yeah. And it started uh, taking a little bit more off after 14 months or something, a little bit more than a year. Yeah. It also means that there are lots of people and like it's a good time for doing these kind of blogs mm -hmm. in Europe. Yeah. Because there's lots of interest now. Yeah, of course. And the more attention the bigger platforms get, the more people search for reviews about them. And then yeah. the, the growth comes naturally also that way from Google and so that's one aspect of it uh -huh. and the other one i hope is also that people like what they see and they maybe talk to their friends about it and this the word spreads a little bit yeah it's a good combination i remember seeing the blog income on the statistics yeah i actually uh, removed them here earlier this month i was thinking about it a lot because i like to be transparent in everything i do, I do and i also like to tell people what actually is uh, possible. When I started the blog, I never thought I should make a dime of it. It was never even an intention to earn money. It was more like an, an incident almost. But the thing is, when, when the blog income started skyrocketing, then it was like the, the people's, the focus of everyone's uh, going to the side, they were more or less only looking at those numbers now instead of actually what... Yeah. To me, it, these big numbers from a blog income doesn't even mean anything to me. Of course, it's nice and it puts me in my direction so I can achieve some things faster. But I actually think it's way more exciting to follow the smaller numbers to see what, what do I do, how do I progress from month to month. Because I know these the things I invest in and the progression I get from month to month, that will be sustainable. It'll not be something that'll just disappear from one day or another on, unless some big disasters should happen you know but it's it's something that'll keep growing block income you never know if if some of the um, agreements you have with some of the platforms they can change from from day to day mm -hmm. and so so you don't know if that's just a short-lived boost here in the beginning or it will be sustainable or anything so and my mailbox was i got to a point where i had Nine out of out of ten emails I got in my inbox was about the blog income and how to set up a blog, how to earn money Seriously? that way instead. Wow. <laughs> and that was really not the direction I wanted to take the blog in. It it should be about these investments. That's what that's what I'm I'm passionate about. So that's interesting. So are people asking you how to build a finance blog or just like blogging in yeah. general? Yeah, they do. It's amazing. Uh, and how what <laughs> what I do in terms of uh, advertising and you know it, it's it's more about how to build a blogging business the the questions I got so I wanted to return the focus to what it was originally about. But just to be 
bit uh, <laughs> interesting. Why didn't you think of pivoting, say, into that direction? If that's what people want and that's what's working. You would have achieved the financial independence thing much earlier and still done something. I wouldn't say it's not... I think you're underestimating the sustainability of a blogging business. Maybe. The thing is, when I've talked to people in the past about investing, and especially Danes, and maybe it's because of the complicated systems with taxes and how you have to report and and the uncertainty of your investments, will it ever turn out good or will everything you invest in, these stocks, will they, go, will they lose half the value? I think in general, then people are afraid of investing. Mm-hmm. And I would like to live in a world where people are not afraid of investing in general. I think it should be something that people should aim for and try to build up a good economy for yourself because it's, life is so much better if you don't have to worry about, about finances that you know that you can actually get the food you need next month without worrying about anything. So that was kind of my take on it that I would like to show people that you can actually go from from zero to becoming financially independent within a reasonable amount of time, maybe five, ten years or something, and not sacrificing everything and just by being reasonable and investing in, in decent things. And I still want to you know, teach people about this concept. And if I just turn it into how to build a business online or something, then it's suddenly a completely new, it's a new story, you know, so. Yeah, but on the other hand, like we spoke earlier about having a growth mindset and I think what you're doing with the investment part is excellent and like long-term focus, all that's good. But what I really liked and I was impressed by the short time span when you achieved all the traffic and also the income. I think that's also good for people to see like, hey, I have a day job, but it's possible to make more than my day job. And if I just dedicate evenings and weekends to blogging or to something else, whatever it is. I think most people actually uh, don't have this belief. I agree. Which is problematic as well. (laughs) Apart from the investment part, I think, I speak to many people who have who are so afraid of not only leaving their job and starting something new, but just doing something as a side gig. They don't believe that it will ever reach anywhere no. near the income of their job. No, and and it's it's actually your your income in life will always be equal to or almost always be equal to the amount of people you're able to help. Mm-hmm. That's true. And you can just ask yourself the question, how many people are you, or the listeners here, how many people are you helping in your day job? Most people will say it's probably less than 100 during a month. Could be more, could be less. But but when you have the internet, how many people can you reach on the internet in a month? If there are so much people who share the same interest, it doesn't actually matter which interest you have if there's, if there's something you're really passionate about. There is other people passionate about it as well, mm-hmm. and it's if you just go to your local city center, it'll be hard to find anyone. But on the internet, that you will easily have a thousand people who are interested in the same topic or more. Yeah. 
So, so it's so much easier to connect with like-minded people and to share the things you're passionate about. And that's actually, I think, what's, what you should have as your plan if you want to start a, a site or sub, of some kind, then, then write about the things you're passionate about. Because just setting it up because you just want a business, of course, it can work, and a lot of people do it, but it's often also one of these things where it kind of falls off after a few years because they don't... Of course, it makes a little bit of money, but they're not really interested in the subject, and then it doesn't really grow any further beyond that. So passion is the, the thing I would like to encourage most people to look into first. Yeah. I, it, I also got reminded of this article by Kevin Kelly, which is it's titled, entitled 1000 True Fans. Mm. Not sure if I, you ever come, did you come across it? I haven't heard of it, but it's an article. Okay. I'll link it in the show notes and send you the link later. But basically the article is about how you can earn enough money to live mm. if you can have 1000 fans of whatever you're doing. Yeah. And well, if you see the subscriber rate on your blog, you have a, yeah. a little more than totally. 1000 there. So totally true. Yeah. And it's been my experience as well with blogging and the podcast and other stuff I'm, I've been up to over the years. So mm -hmm. good article for people who are afraid of trying something new and making their passion their main income. It doesn't really take that much. It doesn't take as much as people think it does. It, it's actually, of course, it's it's work and you have to do it in a good way. You have to do it in a, you know, in a, in a really, so it's presented in a well, in a good way. It don't, you don't just want to write a short draft and just post it. And at least I like to be a little bit perfectionistic about it. So I, I do it in the best possible way. So, mm -hmm. so that people can also feel that it's something I... Uh, I'm passionate about. If people can do the same thing with whatever topic it is, just yeah. show your audience that you are actually generally interested in the subject, then it's easier to find find followers and and readers. Yeah, sounds good. And so let's take a look at the investments. As we mentioned earlier, you're focused. If I I understand well. You're focused on the real estate property that you own, and you're doing also crowd lending on the various platforms that are available in, in Europe. And that's your mm -hmm. main focus, right? Yeah, I'm trying to build up a portfolio where I have, I would of course like to have more property investments, mm -hmm. and I would also like to grow my crowd lending portfolio more. So I'm looking for diversification. And how much would you recommend people put in from their whole net worth into these platforms? I never recommend anything. I just show people what I do. Then they can do whatever they want to do. I'm not a financial advisor and I cannot recommend anything in general. But what are you comfortable with? Then? Well, people can see on my blog what I do and I'm comfortable with the investments I've done. and. The investments I show on my blog are the only investments I have at all. Right. Okay. So crowd lending is a, sh a huge part of my portfolio. 
So let me see here. It's uh, about a hundred thousand euros invested in crowd lending, and then I invested twenty thousand or something like that in the property. So it's eighty mm-hmm. percent I have in crowd lending at the moment. Yeah. Well, I already uh, I'm in the process of buying the property number two. Hopefully, it'll go through here until May first. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if everything goes well, so that will balance it out a little bit. So it'll be more like 60 40 off, maybe even in the range of 50 50. But people should invest whatever they feel comfortable with in general. And one recommendation I always do is to start out small to learn about what you are actually investing in and to see how it works. And then you can always invest more if you feel comfortable and you like the system. It's a lot easier to put more money in. Mm-hmm. Than, than taking it out again. Of course, a lot of these investments are also quite liquid. So you, uh, they have uh, secondary markets where you can sell it to other mm-hmm. investors at par value often. Sometimes you can even make a small premium if you've got a good loan. But it's pretty. It's a lot more liquid than most people actually realize. So even though you lend out to someone for five years, then if there's a secondary market, you can sell it. And actually one... One guy called PHP Millionaire, he made this experiment where he tried to sell his uh, million euro portfolio to see how how long time would it take for him to liquidate it and have everything back in his bank account. And within 24 hours, he had liquidated more than 99%. So it was very quickly. Yeah, I'd like to have him on the show next. So we'll we'll ask him about that. Yeah. (laughs) So on the if people look at the income statement, they'll see your income per platform, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of investment invested, and then the value is the total, if I understand well, of the invested plus the income over the lifetime of that investment. Right? Yes, yes, exactly. And how do you calculate the what's that the I always forget how what the abbreviation stands for, the internal rate of return. Yeah, exactly, internal rate of and return. What's the X for? Um, I actually <laughs> can't remember, but I just know the function of it in Excel is called with ah, an okay. X in front of it. Right. So how do you calculate that? Well, I do it on a monthly basis, and I only do that because it's easier, and mm-hmm. it's not... A hundred percent accurate, but it's very much close. So if I took all the, well, I take all the the income I have for one month, mm-hmm. then I put it into Excel and write the date, and then I in general I put deposits and I put when I receive interest, and then I put the current date in the end. I have a lot of people actually asking me for how to do these, but it's pretty easy to just Google how to do this this internal rate of return calculation. Right. And and there's a function for it in, in Excel. So you just provide data, how much you deposited, how much you got in return, and what the portfolio value is, and then it, it gives you the number. Mm-hmm. So it's... All right. And have you found the platform uh, reports to be accurate? Or I've, I've heard about some platforms showing a higher rate of return than you would get if you calculated it for some reason? I have experienced the opposite. I think most of my calculations are actually showing higher return than the platform does itself. Hmm. 
and that sometimes make me wonder if I'm doing something wrong. But I think it's <laughs> it's pretty accurate because I haven't included any referral income or anything into these numbers. It's just plain deposits, interest returns, and portfolio values. No, so I actually think it's pretty spot on these numbers that the that platforms present as well. Okay, and uh, so like the last question I'd have on this uh, topic would be. Many platforms have the auto invest functionality. Mm -hmm. So obviously many people ask me why, how do you go about investing? If you're going to invest 10 euro in one loan or property, how, obviously you cannot spend time investigating who that person is or who the property is. No. So how do you go about investing? And obviously the answer is to use auto invest. And what my question would be is how do you set up not necessarily how in terms of percentages, but what's your thinking when you go into a platform and set up auto invest? Is there anything you're looking out for? I have a little bit different mindset that than most people have. I think when setting these, uh, I'm trying to say to myself in general, I cannot also like the stock market and everything. I cannot predict the future, even though I had all the information in the world. I could still not know if a platform or a loan originator or something went bankrupt right and you also see traders trying to to think they know more and often they don't really know anything so i just kind of try to accept the fact that i don't know everything and i just try to say what's a reasonable return for me what's acceptable and if, for example on one of the bigger platforms that has a lot of uh, loan originators well I try to select some of the ones that for example Mintos they rated from a rating from A to B to you know so they rated they had the conversation with the loan originator I don't think I'm more clever than this the guys who actually do this for a living at Mintos talking with these people in person sometimes so i just i just go with the trust so i trust they do the that job until they have proven me otherwise <laughs> and and if it's proven otherwise then i'll just adjust accordingly over time but i i like to say for example set it to 12 percent try to get some decent diversification and then then just don't spend too much time on it mm. then just let it let it reinvest and you, did you have any defaults on on any of the platforms that were not recovered? Well, the very first platform I invested in was Bondora. And Bondora doesn't have any auto-invest. Uh, well, it does have auto-invest. It doesn't have any buyback guarantee. Right. So there you take the full risk. Of course, then you also get the full return. In some cases, they have more than 100% interest rates to the borrowers, which is kind of crazy. But... But there's a lot more risk involved in those, and and in those I had a lot of defaults, of course. But I, I'm I'm going away from these types of investments. I I like the predictability and stability more from the uh, from the buyback guarantees. Mm. Also worth mentioning that the buyback guarantee does not mean that you're guaranteed to get the money back. If the loan originator itself goes bust you probably won't get the money. It happened to me with Eurocent on the Mintos platform where mm -hmm. that loan originator unfortunately went bankrupt. And yeah. so far I haven't got the money back at least. No. Did you get anything at all? No. 
that one. Okay. So like when when the there was a cutoff date when the, they announced that they had gone bankrupt and it's been like over a year, you know, mm. courts and stuff. So I'm not sure if I'll ever get anything. Yeah, the thing is with these things, when something goes bankrupt, the procedure is very long and it could take three to five years until they come to any conclusion. And a lot of times, most of the the money is uh, spent for lawyers and recovery and, you know, so not much will be left for investors in the end. And we're talking about uh, personal loans, you know, maybe 50 or 100 individuals who owe me money through Eurocent. Mm. Uh, it's like $10 each. Uh, I don't know. I don't have high hopes about that. No, that's why device diversification. I can't hardly say that word. <laughs> diversification is is key in many cases. So, if it's if you had maybe five percent of your portfolio into eurocent or less, then it well you take a hit, but it's five percent is yeah. uh, easily recovered from all your other investments in one year. So you'll still end up with a, a small surplus. So that's the main part that you don't put every all your eggs in one basket. Yep. In fact, which is what happened. Yeah. But what I like about buyback guarantee in general is that it's it's easier, but it's the the best thing about it is, especially in Denmark, reporting taxes mm -hmm. and try to actually be able to deduct losses is such a mess here. It, it, because you cannot just say, oh, it's default in my portfolio on Bondora, so it's it's not recoverable. But actually, I'll have to wait maybe five or seven years until it's actually in a state where they would say, okay, I'll never get any money back from this borrow, so you can deduct that, but it's so far down and out in the future. Mm. So I cannot deduct any losses until many years ahead of now. But right. with buyback guarantee, there is no such things. You can just report whatever you earned. And okay, if you take one big loss like Eurocent, then, well, it's deductible right away because they say, okay, this company is bankrupt. I'm not sure if I can deduct it from my tax. I didn't think, even think about it. I know you can deduct the uh, losses, but I think it would have to be an overall loss from Mintos itself for that to apply. I mean, from I, what I declare is what I earned from Mintos, and that's the net. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, but then you still deducted the losses from the net income, didn't you? No. So no. maybe I should do that. <laughs> uh, maybe it's an option for you. I think it would it. be possible in Denmark because then you have the company and it is definitely going into default and then you should be able to deduct the losses. Hmm. Okay. That's how it works here at least. Yeah, that's, I wouldn't uh, know what how exactly it works in Spain because nobody knows here. <laughs> There's so many gray areas on, on everything. That yeah. You need a team of lawyers to determine anything. Mm -hmm. Most of the times, especially with new technology like crypto and yeah. P2P, it's a whole mess. Yeah. But anyway, it's a whole other area of complaints. <laughs> yeah. I also heard that you're actually, you're liking the crypto in general, mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies and everything. And, the, and it was actually my interest for crypto that ended up getting me into peer-to-peer -peer lending instead later on because i followed the crypto fear in a, a long time ago quite intensely also but i thought it was 
was so new and such a big risk and I didn't really dare to step out into it. Mm-hmm. I thought the risk was too big and it was to me it was a little bit more speculation. But I still saw a lot of the things and tried to measure things on a monthly basis and everything. And then I, when I finally then discovered the peer-to-peer lending and crowd lending, then I saw that I could actually get some of the same benefits in this sector instead, but just with less with less risk, in my opinion. So that's why I ended up going in that direction instead. Yeah, I I wouldn't exclude actually having had the same journey because I think I had started looking about blogs in Europe for crypto and ended up on my friend Marco Schwartz's blog where he also spoke about mm-hmm. uh, crypto-powered or crypto-backed loans. And then he was also doing Mentos and stuff. Yeah. And that's how I even got to know about P2P platforms. But I think I might go go back into the other direction at a later point, actually, when I because I've also been searching for, like you said, um, interest that you can actually earn interest on crypto. Mm-hmm. So when yeah, yeah. when that gets more sustainable, I think I might not switch completely, but add at least to my portfolio to go a little bit more into crypto again. Yeah, there's uh, you can loan crypto and then get returns on that. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you can do it, I guess. Loan your crypto. There's also someone coming up with new cryptos where you can actually just, you know, stake them instead of mining and then that's how they build in the inflation. Hmm. So then you earn from staking in the form of interest. But that's a completely other topic. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Maybe for another episode. Yeah. In a year's time to see how Bitcoin is doing. <laughs> Could be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I don't know if there's anything else that you'd like to share with our audience or where they can contact you. They can always. I, t- I try to respond to every email I get. Except if it's about building an affiliate blog. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I also even answer these questions. I just try to make it less uh, obvious that people can ask them, I think. So I will ask anything. Just uh, just hit me with an email. You can find my email address on financiallyfree.eu on the About page. If you want to follow my journey, of course, then you can sign up for that just to get a notification on email once a month or something like this. Yep. And then I really enjoy the community. So if people are sitting behind the screen at home, then we'll type in a message in a comment box or something to to interact. It's always nice to have a lot of people in the community too. You might not find a lot of people in your workplace who are actually sharing the same interest for these kinds of investments. So it's nice to have a community where you actually feel like you're not the only one doing it. Yep. So And you find a lot of support and a lot of these people that are interacting in, in these communities also on Facebook and on my blog and other pages. They are very helpful people, most of them, and we have a, a really good conversation going on. So please join it if you are interested in it. Yep. And while we're at it, I would mention that if you're European or you would like to invest in European stuff, there's, as you mentioned, some Facebook groups, there's a Reddit group, uh, more than one actually. And there's another podcast, Financial Independence Europe podcast, which Mm -hmm. is also very good. And you also were interviewed by those guys twice. Yes. 
And there's also a Financial Independence Europe retreat by the same people who make the podcast. It's in at towards the end of May in Portugal. Not sure if you're attending. Oh, unfortunately, I don't. I would like to go, but it's too close to the to the birth of my third child, so oh, yeah. I can't go. Unfortunately, maybe next okay. year. Yeah. And also eurofinanceblogs.com, which is the site I just launched last week, uh, which gathers a bit of all the latest blog posts by all the European bloggers in one place. So that's it from our end. Hope you enjoyed the, this episode. Thank you, Jürgen, for joining us and sharing your journey and your tips. Thanks for having and me. And hope to get you again in the future. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.